Welcome to the Farm Answers Podcast. The Farm Answers Podcast takes a deeper look at projects funded by the USDA National Institute of Food and Agriculture's Beginning Farm and Rancher Development Program and how they are reaching beginning farmers and ranchers. Hi, Scotty. Welcome to the Farm Answers Podcast. You're welcome. I'm really happy we're able to connect today. You work at the North-South Institute. Can you tell me a little bit about the Institute itself and your role there? The Institute is a 25-year-old organization operating as an economic research and development think-and-do tank. It serves small and medium-sized farmers and ranchers in urban, peri-urban, rural, areas, rural small business, micro enterprises, and underserved communities. We basically develop and facilitate solutions that will help the target clientele that we have serve both in the public and private sector to make informed business decisions to basically cover three mission areas, efficiency, productivity, and overall sustainable of their operation in terms of non-financial as well as financial sustainability. Very good. That sounds like important work. And you received this grant through NIFA for beginning farmer work. So can you tell me a little bit about the work you specifically do with beginning farmers and why perhaps there was a need for this work too? Over the years, we have been engaged in supporting these producers and we saw where there were some major constraints affecting these producers. A couple of them which I can remember offhand is the access to land, labor, capital, markets, participation in the digital economy, and how to address risk mitigation. As a matter of fact, all of these are important in building the capacity of this group. We recognize that risk mitigation is perhaps one of the most overpowering constraints. And as a result, through this NIFA support, we came up with some innovative tools that are non-insurance based to assist these producers, particularly starting from how do you plan to operate your business How do you gain access to USDA programs and other federal programs, as well as resources from the private sector to begin operate your farm, given the four cycles that we design in terms of getting you through the process as a beginning producer? That would be establishment, growth, expansion, and how you transition out of the business or you add other line activities to make your operation successful. The areas you bring up are areas I hear about in these interviews almost every time. It's hard to find capital, it's hard to find land, all these different things. I like that you guys really focused what you're going to do though. We're gonna work on risk mitigation and I think of larger farmers, you know, people who have corn and soybean, they have insurance available to them. So risk mitigation is pretty easy, but where you're at down, down in the South, you mentioned you're located in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, right? It, it's not corn and soybeans down there and you need other strategies to mitigate risk. So this seems like really important and valuable work. Can you 
explain a little more just how exactly this is helping beginning farmers? The beginning farmers that we support, they're in seven clusters. And if you look at Florida, Florida, Florida is actually three states within a state. The producers who are in clusters six and seven, that would be in the North Central and the Northern Florida. Those would be more of the typical producers that you would see in the Midwest doing things like corn, soybean, and some of the program crops. But because of scale, they may be disadvantaged when compared to the other Midwestern producers. As you come further south, say like clusters four and five, which would be in the the Gold Coast or the Paradise Coast or the Treasure Coast areas, you'll find most of those producers being engaged in specialty food enterprises. And those would be the smaller beginning farmers with less pro- with less risk programs available to them yes. too, right? Through yes. man- I mean, there's pro- certainly there's programming for beginning farmers, but not necessarily some of those risk mitigation ones that you're talking sure. about. Sure, and then as you go down to clusters two and three, which would be from the Palm Beach area going down to the Everglades, they're engaged in specialty food enterprise. One of the things though that I think most folks are missing And you can look at the data to prove for yourself. Many of these producers, if you were to look at a 50-50 scale of a row crop producer, it takes from a mini farm of two and a half acres, you would need at least about a 50-acre row crop of 50-50, 50-acre row crop of corn and soybean to have the equivalent income. And you can use the financial data from the universities as well as... You can look at the data from the Center for Farm Financial Management. And then you can look at the actual data coming from those universities that support these kind of crops. So a 20-acre farm of specialty crop would be equivalent to almost a 400-acre farm of rural crop. And this is the point that I think many of the policymakers are missing. They look at these smaller farms and they may not recognize how important they are, especially in terms of scope of coverage of products. And I'm coming back to this mitigation, but I think I should spend a minute here to define the process or the framework that we're talking about. And as a result, what you find is that most time when the farm bill is developed, these producers are placed in what I call the catch-all title 11 that seem to appropriate a minimum amount of resources to support them, especially in four areas, training, technical assistance, resource availability, and finally, disaster risk mitigation. The other thing is that the growth in beginning farmer, if you were to take from the Northeast, you're going right to the west coming down south. That's where you're getting the greatest growth of producers who are coming into agriculture in terms of production. So your risk mitigation strategy now has to be a combination of non-insurance based tool like proper enterprise diversification, good market planning, and a focus of 
building on letting these beginning farmers understand how to run a business, almost like a mini agribusiness corporation. On the insurance side, you have the whole farm program, and there's a nice one that came out of an exercise that for years it has been on the table, but finally it's here, and that's the micro-insurance. And that's where you're looking at ways in which you can expand the product to assist these producers looking at the entire enterprise and then working through the nuances of how to support them. So as innovative as you can get, for example, one of the innovations that we have brought to the table in this project is assisting beginning farmers to develop what we call a quick response, self-resilient fund. And the reason for that is that though you have NAP and though you have ECP as uh, the emergency conservation program to assist small producers, the time it takes between filing for a claim and the actual payout of a claim, because of the, the crops you're engaged in, you would have missed about four or six, four to six planting. As a matter of fact, the time it takes to cover that is a deterrent to stay in agriculture, especially for a beginning farmer that may be operating in less than three years. So let's say they are faced with a hurricane event like Irma that puts 16 inches of water. So if you can build something in your on your farm as a set aside to assist you to recover with the main drivers, like to cover your seeds, your fertilizer, and your chemical, you will be able to start restart your enterprise much quicker, and you will be able to sort of work through the process with, let's say, the government program to assist these producers. So from where we stand, it is not difficult to address many of these constraints that we have talked about. It's a question of being nimble, agile, and innovative from the policy standpoint to come up with things that are rational and practical. And that is one of the lessons that we have learned in working with beginning farmers and ranchers in the areas that we are currently engaged in. Oh, the work is really, it, it does sound really innovative and it sounds quite agile. Just, you said a lot there and I'm wrapping my head around it as we're having this conversation. So you're working with very efficient farms. If you have two and a half acres and you're saying that's about the equivalent of 50 acres of corn or soybean, very efficient farms, you know, high high revenue, high profitability per acre, limited programs available because they're not necessarily the crops that are grown most commonly in the United States. So trying to find these creative and unique strategies so that if something does happen, and you're in Florida, so you brought it up, hurricanes, hurricane happens, you can get back on your feet. Um, so one of the programs that you were talking about was just, you need to have reserves. So we teach the farmers how to have some sort of reserve fund so that while they're waiting for their emergency payment, which can take some time, they're still able to continue to operate. Because you said it well, beginning farmers, they're usually less than a few years into it, and they're going to exit the business if they don't 
they don't have the capital, right? They're going to go for broke. So teaching them those skills early on, like this is how this is how this works. This is the process when you're growing specialty crops. And these are the things that you need to prepare yourself for. That sounds like you're going to have beginning farmers that become experienced farmers where you're at with the programming that you're doing. When you're engaged with beginning farmers in the space that we operate in, as I told you earlier on before on start, you're looking at, like, say, from the 42 counties in Florida, the bordering states in Alabama, Georgia, and South Carolina. Then when I speak with my counterpart in the Belt State, you're looking at farmers that will have two, one and a half, five acres, 10 acres, 20 acres, up to 80 acres. And the largest of the farmers is an outlier. We have 200 acre farm up in the north or in the Delta states or a 300 acre farm where they'll be doing like the soybeans, soybean, growing soybean. What you have to do as a partner a federal program accountability partner, which is what we see ourselves as. You have to come up with techniques to demonstrate to the farmer, not only just training and technical assistance, because you can train and technical assistance producers to debt. If you can't bring real life opportunities to show them how they can generate sustenance on their, their farm. It really doesn't make any sense. And I think that is where the rubber meets the road. Sure. So it's great if you can help a new citrus grower figure out what the fungus is or the diseases that's impacting the the trees. But what I'm hearing you suggest, and I would tend to agree, is that where new farmers really need the help is around maybe the business side of things, just being ready for the storm they might face financially or or literally. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and there are so many examples to show that this isn't a wild idea because... Okay, so you may have read my mind here because that was actually going to be my next question. Do you have an example about like a specific farmer or one of your programs that really helped a situation um, that somebody might have been in? I was told that in South Florida when the hurricane of 1992 came, that devastated the horticultural industry. However, those farmers were able to secure insurance and have closely knit partnerships and family relationships were able to survive. And some of them has gone on to be multi-million dollar horticultural operations. In our case, I have seen small producers working through the steps, having a good partnership structure that they can move from a mini farm to a small farm to actually owning their own residence in a very good area. And this goes to the three areas that USDA supporting their mission area, which is changing knowledge, changing action, and changing condition. So if I were to use that example, change in action, we participated in many of the training programs and technical assistance program. Change in action, it became engaged in USDA programs and finding all the resources to um, become engaged. Moving his operation to become more a stable or an organized agribusiness operation and changing condition 
you own your own home and own your own resources and can send your children to school. Those are the examples that I want to bring to the table. I think they're good examples. And I like the context you provided at the beginning, too, with why did some of these operations survive and really thrive and, like you said, move on to the larger farm status after Hurricane Andrew and then explaining, like, this is why some didn't make it either. And that's what we're we're trying to work on now. So if I'm a beginning farmer, like, how do I engage with the program or what type of beginning farmer would be best served by by your programming, Scotty? If you're a backyard farmer, if you are living on a condominium and have a, some pots on the, on the veranda or the overlooking area from your condo, if you are a farmer that leases a small plot of land that you can escape the vicissitude of the developers, which is another constraint in the area. If you're a producer that can move further out in the rural areas in the state, all you have to do is to call into the office, visit our website, just make sure you make contact. We have the outreach mechanism and the subject matter specialist, the 30, the 35 subject matter specialists associated with this institute. We can do rapid deployment to come and look at what you're doing and make recommendation in terms of a what the business that you may want to become engaged with. Then connect you with the programs that would best fit what you're doing from the standpoint of private sector resources, federal um, support, community supported, and other NGOs that are doing the things close to your area. That's what we would recommend. What we want to see, though, is that you move this business, given the definition that the federal government made about farming. Farming is $1,000 worth of sales that's when you're considered a farmer then you become engaged in doing the things that we will help to hold your hand to go through if you're interested in doing it. That would be planning, organizing, controlling, building your management capacity, your record keeping, and be hungry for knowledge because you have to integrate technology in your business if you want to be a successful beginning farmer. That's the procedure we use in any case with anyone who wants to get involved. So really, I mean, any any small farmer, really, whether you already have a little bit of land or like you said, you're on your porch, you will help them start the process. But what you're looking for are people who are really passionate about what they're doing and willing to learn and willing willing to hustle to, to make it work and to grow. You're not looking for people to stay stagnant. You're looking to see their business develop and really become maybe a livelihood. One of the most disappointing points of looking at agriculture in the South here is the amount of land in the urban and peri-urban areas that are just sitting there idle. It's the number of individuals who have these properties with a reasonable sized backyard. And it's the number of companies that have fantastic rooftops. And they're not looking at putting food on, on those space, you know? So it, it would be nice to see that drive 
to look at beginning farming, not necessarily to have an expanse of land, but to produce food that you can get into the system more or less. I think that's one of the approaches that would be most worthwhile. So it's been interesting as I've interviewed grant recipients from the South, because this is a common theme that comes up. How do we just get food into to people's hands and how do we utilize the the vacant spaces that are down here? I think you're spot on. I'm actually as I'm listening to you, I'm like, man, you're a real visionary here with with what you're hoping to do and what you're setting out. And I like that it's not just we're going to help people a little bit, but we're going to we're going to get them to the next level, too. I think that's great because that's uh, that's what's needed. It's visionary without resources to make it happen. Yep, fair enough. Okay, good. Yeah, that too. You can't just be a visionary. You got to put put the foundation underneath too. Very true. Well, we, sure. we, sh- we should wrap up here. Can you tell me where can people learn more about your, your program? What's the website or Facebook page that you want to direct people to? First thing is that um, our website is www nsied.org www.nsied.org and the telephone number is 954-434-8220 and then on on facebook you can go to nsi trainings well i want to say thank you for joining us today i really enjoyed our conversation and i'm excited to see what comes next for you guys too It's a pleasure. Take care and have a wonderful afternoon. Thank you for listening to the Farm Answers podcast. This episode was hosted by Betty Burning, produced by Curtis Monken and Jeff Reisdorfer. Listen and subscribe to the Farm Answers podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other major streaming platforms. Tell your smart device to play the Farm Answers podcast. To learn more about this USDA NIFA BFRDP project and other projects, visit farmanswers.org. The Farm Answers podcast and farmanswers.org are funded by the United States Department of Agriculture, National Institute of Food and Agriculture, and are a product of the Center for Farm Financial Management at the University of Minnesota. 